Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate Radio Show, recording live here in the beautiful Diamantina. Bit of rain out there, uh, you know, it doesn't really look like a desert at the moment. It looks like we're in um, the Tuscan plains of uh, Brown's Plains, actually, um, which is, which is, I believe, home to today's guest. You're joined by myself, Clancy Overland, and of course, Errol Park. How are you, Errol? Good, mate. That was uh, spoken by a man who's never seen Tuscany in Italy, I dare say. I've, I've been to Brown's Plains and I've been to Tuscany in Italy, and they are quite different. Well, I don't know if they have the rugby league talent that the Browns Plains does coming out of Tuscany. No, but they do have the uh, gun crime. From yeah. uh... Now, today's guest is Anthony, the... King of Western Grit Hayes. Uh, it's a tag that he has not been able to avoid since uh, since early on in his career. Thank you for joining us, uh, Hazy. It's good to be here. I've already had a good chuckle while you've been uh, doing the intro, so that's good. I hope I got that right. You are a Browns Plains boy. I am a Browns Plains boy. Yeah, born born in uh, Brizzy, the Mater Hospital. Grew up in Browns Plains. Went to Browns Plains Primary, Browns Plains High, and uh, my parents still live in that vicinity. So. Um, you know, living in Melbourne now, but uh, you can take the boy out of Brown's Plains, as the saying goes. Absolutely. Die-hard Marone of the Bone. We've seen the photographs. Yep. And uh, we're going to get into this film that you've uh, been involved in, or you've starred in, directed, uh, co-written, and uh, produced in The Shape of Gold, which is released on January 26th, so in a couple of days' time from now, right, right across Australia on the streaming services, that is, anyway. We'll, we'll get into that in a second, but I want to talk to you about the, the long road towards gold, towards uh, the, yeah. this, this film. Tell us, can, you, can we start with how you got out of Brown's Plains? Not, not to make that sound like it's a hard place to get out of, but what was the pathway? Yeah, because, sure. Because I don't know if they were handing out flyers to NIDA down there at Brown's Plains High. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I realised I wasn't going to play for Queensland in the state of origin, mm-hmm. I realised that I'd have to come up with another plan. Mm-hmm. So I, um, you know, I always wanted to be a rugby league player. And uh, my dad actually started the Brown's Plains Bears. He built the Brown's Plains Bears clubhouse because he was a bricklayer. And uh, that was going to be my you know, ticket out of Browns Plains. It was going to be halfback or five eight for the Maroons. Uh, I realised very quickly that wasn't going to happen, and uh, I started kind of acting on the weekends, probably just so my parents could get me out of their hair. Mm-hmm. On, you know, Saturday and Sunday, and uh, started commercials and basically flogged every product under the sun as a nine ten year old kid, from veggie hot dogs to you know Narada tea to you know. Wow. They basically, my parents put me to work. And, uh, <laughs> bit of a Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> yeah, you know, a bit of a Macaulay Culkin, and uh, you know, but the good thing was I could go and buy whatever NRL collector cards I wanted. Yeah. I was, you know, had enough money for it. And, uh, you know, then you just kind of, you know, went from there doing kids shows and then Paradise Beach for a while for uh, the duration of that show. And then, you know, it was kind of everyone was going into university and I'd spent three or four years of my high schooling on and off film sets and, uh, you know, realised I didn't have the grades to get into university so I better just keep rolling with uh, acting and then moved to Sydney to give it a go. So... I didn't really expect it to ever have a career out of it. It just organically kind of happened, you know. So can you just tell us, did you study the thespian stuff or was it always on screen from a young age? 
No, as uh, Russell would put it, you know, the school of hard knocks yep. uh, was was my was my school. So, um, yeah, I didn't. I mean, I was by the time I was old enough to go to NIDA and eighteen years old or seventeen is when people usually go in. I'd been doing it for quite a while, even mm-hmm. by by then, you know. So, I did think about it, but I was working a lot, so mm-hmm. I didn't. And uh, so, I'd never had the kind of traditional or classical theatre training and always felt quite dumb, really, Mm -hmm. you know, up against all these kind of well-read, you know, actors that came out of drama schools. But my path was always, I guess, to play knockabout Aussie, you know, racist, rapist, murderers and Mm-hmm. What have you? And we, so, we've covered this you know, in the Batuta Advocate, actually. Yeah. You have covered this, yeah, quite quite well. And so, you know, you don't need to read a book to be able to play those roles, do you? <laughs> no. So it's fine. It, it helps, <laughs> actually, doesn't it, to play a racist uh, redneck murderer if you haven't read a book? Um, it, uh- <laughs> oh, well, there are certain books that you can read. You know, I, I, I think there are a few on the uh, on the racist curriculum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, there's, yeah. There's, plenty, there's plenty going around now. Actually, you should visit Craig uh, Kelly's website now for some interesting uh, resources <laughs> in, in, yeah. in that regard. But but as, as you pointed out here, Anthony, you were working. Like you couldn't fuck around for four years, you know, um, doing the amateur theatre stuff and, and learning, you know, those specific disciplines because you were already on the job. Pretty much, yeah. When did you start seeing it look like – work was coming in i mean i know you said that was happening from a young age with the commercials but was there any moment where you're like okay now i'm an australian actor yeah it's always i mean for me it's always felt uncertain Mm -hmm. to be completely honest i mean you know i'm a character actor that's Mm -hmm. kind of what i do you know i could do four films in a year and there was a time there where you know it seemed like i was in every bloody australian movie that was out Mm -hmm. and a lot of work was coming out but it really only equated to 15 days a year of work so it was always a you know a bit of a hard slog to get through it and try and try and pick things that you actually liked doing and not fall into the trap of doing long-term tv which i wasn't into you know at the time so it's 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 always a battle and that's you know that is why uh you know i started writing and creating my own materials out of necessity you know you've got to kind of you can't wait by the phone for the next three days racist role yeah yeah. that's that's not going to do you any good well i know i mean we we, we laugh about it but some of these roles you've played you know they're quite haunting i mean one that obviously comes to mind is the boys the boys in that's a type of movie you never forget and another one that i actually found your character actually just so real and just someone you'd seen before was in the slap can i ask you a question when you were playing that role and when you went and looked back at it how did you view your character in the slap obviously the father of the boy that gets slapped i don't need to go into the the plot because everyone's either read yeah. the book or seen the show what was your feeling on that because we were talking to old um throwing the cow the other day and um yeah he was under the impression that your character was like a marginalized you know the guy that you feel sympathy for i wasn't sure if i felt the same way watching that yeah, I, I don't know that I had much sympathy for him. I mean, yeah. Um, <laughs> the drunken, yeah, obnoxious drunken, labourer. obnoxious, kind of bogan <laughs> bloke, you know. I mean, I yeah. identified with him, sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's always interesting doing those kind of things, though, because, you know, you mentioned the boys and the slap and all these type of characters. Is You, you always have to come at them with a, with a, you know, sense of non-judgment and a sense yeah. of purity in a sense where yeah. – 
there's a grey to everyone. Yeah. You know, the the blackest soul in the world still has some kind of redeeming feature, I'm sure, somewhere there, and that's mm-hmm. you know your job to find that to make it interesting. So, but I always like kind of wading into the shallows of the you know the darker side of humanity. It's uh, it's where I kind of sit yeah. sit best and trying to find the shades and the colour in there. You yeah. Know? And make a make a, a an irredeemable character somewhat sympathetic in some way, so that it's a, a complex portrayal of a human being. Yeah, you know, that's the that's what I love about it. It was it was interesting that you could see the layers to that <laughs> character, and um and I and I guess uh, Brendan Cow felt uh, could see so much of himself in there that he felt sorry for him. <laughs> we uh, we we've uh, we've had we've had Cow on here before, and he's um he's a hoot but it, it's it sounds like it's hard is, work yeah. out there it's hard work out there for you guys i mean especially when you have to leave somewhere like brown's plains and end up in you know uh, end up in, in in a city that's much more expensive to live in and you know yeah it's basically unless you're a real estate agent or a you know some sort of uh trust fund kid i guess it's a hard slog for anyone in a city like that let alone a bloke working 15 days a year yeah that's right it's you know you, you really it really tests your metal you know, yeah. you you definitely kind of, you know, I guess it's that thing is you just got to back your talent. You yeah. know, you've got to, you just got to go, I, I'm good at this. I, I know that. And if you keep cracking down doors and eventually they're going to open. And the thing about the industry I've found is that, you know, just when you're ready to give up, something amazing happens, <laughs> you know, that changes your mind. Like you just about had enough and then David Misha gives you a call and goes, you're going to do a Brad Pitt movie around seven countries around the world for four months. <laughs> and you go, all right, I'm back in. So it just, it has that tantalizing kind of, you know, yeah. and that's why we love it and hate it is yeah. that it offers up the most extraordinary experiences yeah. and the most intense experiences. And then it's a piece of shit the rest yeah. of the time. So, just you know. halfway through getting verified by Uber, and then you get a phone call like that, you know, you yeah, pretty much, yeah, pretty much. That's what it feels like. Yeah. yeah, you've worked with some big name stars like Richard Roxburgh, uh, for one. Luke Bracey, friend of the show, comes to mind. So yeah. you know, some of the biggest names in the history of motion pictures. Is that kind of what prepared you for spending a couple months in the desert with Zac Efron without getting starstruck? I mean, you've um, <laughs> you've stood it's, opposite it's Luke Bracey it's- on the screen. You. Yeah, Brace, I mean, Brace is it, really, isn't he? He's the pinnacle. So it's, um, you know, I love Brace. He, he loves his rugby league too, which is, he's, he's, a, he's a blue, which yeah. is, And you a know, disgusting whatever. Manly Seagulls fan, yeah. yeah uh, and he's one of those toothless standing on the hill type <laughs> yeah. guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, he's one of those, like Justin Justin Rosniak. Yeah, toothless yeah. silvertails. It's a rare, rare breed. Yeah, that's, that's the ones, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rip his head off. Come on, ref. Yeah, he's one of those. Yeah, we know those guys well. Well, well, bizarrely, it's, I've, I've never, ever felt intimidated by actors before, but I've always felt intimidated by rugby league players. Yep. That's weird because <laughs> even, at, I'm, you know, I'm now a 43-year-old man and I and NRL players are 19 or 20. I mean, now, I'd, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? I'd see Payne Haas and I'd be like, scared and shit. Yeah, <laughs> but like, Dude, he's a 19-year-old I'm, kid. What are you talking about? I know, but, but actors, though, are, are quite little. They are They're really, small. you know, they are, you know, like aside from jockeys, they are quite little. So it's understandable that you'd be, a, you know, a bit apprehensive around a rugby league play considering that yeah. they are kind of That's built true. like um, a door on legs. Yeah. 
And I can vouch for that because once I was at a urinal in between Sylvester Stallone and Jean-Claude Van Damme and I was bigger than him. So, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Non-plussed. At a Planet Hollywood uh, opening. So I was like, yeah, they're small. They're small. <laughs> it's, those angles, it's those angles from the side of the boxing ring coming up through the ropes. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's the low angle of the camera just making him look big and, you know, standing on boxes. Yeah. <laughs> So but, yeah, how was it? Uh, how was it out there um, in the desert? I mean, how long were you out there for? I mean, this is gold we're talking about now. The film we we mentioned at the start yeah. of the interview, but how was it out there with someone like Zac Efron, who has effectively lived out of uh, you know briefcases and um, and you know yeah. huge uh, Hollywood and, productions since he was a boy, and also living in huge big mansions on the hills of Hollywood. That's too, right. Yes, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that was the thing is that you know this could have been a disaster mm-hmm. if, if I had if I had a Hollywood actor that came into this who was precious, then mm-hmm. I'd do, I wouldn't have got the film done. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, these these conditions were so full on. They were the most they were, they were the worst conditions I've ever been in for a you know really a film. And yeah. I've done I've done four or five films out in the Flinders Ranges before, yeah. but. The ground temperature was 70 degrees Celsius on some days. It got so hot, it was melting the shoes of the crew. And Fuck, yeah. People were fainting. So you, know, you were, we were saying that all through this, that Zach wasn't being very precious at all. He was just lapping I'm it all saying up. that that guy didn't go on his trailer once. I mean, we couldn't even have the trailers close by, yeah. which was, you know, because we were shooting 360 degree on this clay plant pan, and so they were kind of a couple of kilometres away tucked away under a hill but he never complained once he broke his hand in the middle of it and didn't even tell us and only knew <laughs> once he once he once he sent me a, a, a photo of his x-ray with pins put in it Jesus. he got a couple of pins put in his hand yeah but he didn't want to say anything because he didn't want production to stop so i mean that guy was just so dedicated to it and yeah. it was tough yeah. man like he was rolling around on that dirt for for you know, it was only eighteen days, but it felt like about six months. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. there were sandstorms that blew us out for three days straight, so we couldn't shoot. And there was actually a sandstorm in the written into the movie, and we had paid heaps of money to get all these special effects uh, guys up there with these big fans. And the idea was to drive these utes across this plane with these you know, fans yeah. going to try and blow this movie dust around <laughs> and we're sitting here for two days on our asses not being able to shoot because of sandstorms because of like, the real thing like, let's yeah. try it we've got to do this <laughs> oh insurance and we can't and oh you can't ask Zac Efron to shoot in a sandstorm I was like so I kind of snuck around the side of his um, you know van because we're shut down for the day and just knocked on his van he goes dude there's a sandstorm we want to shoot and he goes fuck yeah buddy <laughs> so I was like let's go and shoot so then we kind of you know had three hours and a real sandstorm to shoot it and just threw the camera on the shoulder and it was actually probably the most exhilarating three or four hours of shooting I've ever had because it was nuts and what you see in the movie is you know 90% real apart yeah, from yeah. you know some CGI effects that are in there so yeah, he was awesome, man. And and, and like I said, at, with a precious Hollywood actor that's used to a level of comfort that he would be used to, it could have gone terribly wrong with the wrong actor. But he was he was right on board. We know that there's um, some in the Australian media who've made a few par- faux pas recently, namely the Channel 7 <laughs> entertainment reporter that flew all the way to England to interview Adele without having listened to her album on the plane. And told her. <laughs> 
yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, interviews over then. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> that's, that's right. what we're hoping. Yeah, I mean, it's not out yeah. until January until January twenty sixth. It's Wednesday, so we actually yeah. haven't seen it. So, so f- for those listening. Um, I'll give them a brief premise. It's uh, it's a story of two men, uh, played by yourself and Zach Efron, traveling through a remote desert and stumbling across uh, treasure or, uh, you know, uh, buried treasure, uh, gold, basically, natural. And then kind of what happens to each man's kind of soul and, you know, their, themselves as persons, at them as people, you know, when they start talking about this fortune, they start thinking about it. And, and of course, you're in, in there in the elements and uh, you know, there's that at all costs kind of uh, psyche that you that you slip into. Would you say that when you were reading this and writing it, co-writer, of course, you didn't actually imagine the, uh, the the set to be as harsh as it was? And did that actually? Do you reckon that actually shines through? I mean, apart from the the, the sandstorm, of course, does that shine through in in the film? Yeah, definitely does. Definitely does. I think it was it was it was really tough. I think what it does too is it zapped. Zach of a lot of energy, you know, probably helped with having a very minimal performance, which is what we were going for anyway. But it was a real struggle, and I think you can see it in him through this film. I mean, it's 90% him in this movie by himself, you know, without Wilson there next to him. Yeah, uh, there's no Wilson either. There's no no Wilson. Just Um, the sun. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Just the sun and some blisters. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, it's – it was a really intense situation and, you know, and perfectly summed up too. It's basically a, you know, a tale about where humanity could be headed. You mm-hmm. know, the, the characters in the film don't have a name. Mm-hmm. They're nameless. They don't have a backstory, which is unusual for a film. Yeah. You don't, you don't know where it's set. It's not set anywhere. Yeah. And the idea was to explore a world in the future where, you know, humanity has come to a point where we don't give a fuck about each other mm-hmm. or where we're from or who we are. Yeah. And we just value things. Yeah. And then what happens to people and then wrap it up into a nice, you know, heavy-hitting genre vibe. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could talk about big themes and still make people want to watch it, you know, in a sense. How were you able to convince him to sign on to this project? I mean, it seems quite left field from him. I mean, like how how easy was it to convince one of the biggest stars in, in the world to come out to the Flinders Rangers in the middle of summer? Yeah, it was actually a weird thing. There was a film that I was directing and producing with the Schwartz brothers over in Canada that Joel Edgerton was attached to. And uh, that was a couple of years before we shot Gold, probably 2018 or something. And we got about six weeks into pre-production and we were about to shoot and then the whole production fell over um, and went down. And Joel, you know, it was like a house of cards. It was like once one actor pulled out, then another actor's pulled out and the whole thing was predicated on having to have this ensemble and all the you know, in the, in the movie finance world, it's like every actor has a particular value in yeah. different territories to make something happen. And so it becomes very difficult with an ensemble. And so that was just devastating, you know, getting all that way and doing that. And then the only person who kind of stuck around was Joel, Joel who's still attached to it. Yeah. You know, good, good mate. And uh, when I got back, I was devastated. And so I spoke to Polly and just said, look, we've got to come up with a movie where it doesn't rely on a massive ensemble of actors who all have to be available at the same time, you know. Yeah, right. So we need to engineer something for a, for a single actor. But we were still trying to get that film back up. And so 
Joel kind of put in a good word for me with Zach's agent over in um, America and said, look, this guy's really cool. I've known him for years and, you know, he's got this film called Stingray that I'm attached to and maybe, you know, he wants to talk about Zach being in it. So Zach read that to be in that movie to kind of get that back up again. And uh, he and I had a few meetings with him and he almost did that and then was like, I don't know, but I really want to work with that guy. And that was the report back. And I was, and then I just happened to have gold ready, which was yeah. unheard, unheard of really, and just said, oh, well, if he wants to work with me, how about this one? And so, so we just yeah. kind of quickly farmed that one out to him and he was like, yeah, this is the one. This is awesome. So That's almost like – but that's that's perfect in the, in, in, in the thinking. You'd had that experience with Stingray over in Canada – and and yeah. you in by your own kind of um you know the way you where where you were at in making films, you were thinking yeah. it would be better with you know smaller smaller cast smaller capacity which is you know yeah. by the grace of God the perfect production for this pandemic that ended up happening exactly yeah yeah is was that all yeah so it it feels like too good to be true but this was something that was in the works before well before the like people started coughing up in the wet markets. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah, it's weird because it feels like a film that's completely designed for yeah, yeah. you know a pandemic style thing. And there yeah. are a few that got made after that. I think that you know Phil Noyce did with Naomi, with one with Naomi Watts that's coming out now. And yeah. there's a few that you know there was another one with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal that uh, he was a caller in a call center that I saw recently on. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of them that were basically, what can we make, you know, without putting people around each other, insurance yeah. for? Yeah. yeah, but this was actually engineered, you know just because of a you know balancing of cast values yeah, yeah. thing and just going, I don't want to go through that process again and having to have six actors all be available at the one time to facilitate the budget you need. So, But, yeah, weird how, you know, things happen. It's the end of the world when Stingray falls over and <laughs> yeah. that's actually the thing that leads to getting Zac Efron in your next movie. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, my dad always says things happen for a for yeah. a reason, and then you never seem like it at the time. I'm yeah, like, right, yeah. Dad, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you know? Yeah. 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 Stingray <laughs> will def- right. Stingray will define me, Dad. You don't know anything of that movie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there he is. He's, yeah, come yeah. knock a ladder. Go. Yeah. yeah, all right, Dad. You were right about that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to say right. I told you so, son, but yeah. this is going to yeah, be the biggest right. I told you so you've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, mate, we're looking forward to seeing it. It felt like it dropped perfect timing as well, like with the tennis and everything on. So it feels like I was watching Curios and then I saw a trailer for Gold and I walked outside yeah. and I saw a bus coming past with your mug on it. So yeah, uh, it's Stan all happening. done a great job. Of, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's in limited theatrical release now until the 26th and then yeah. it's, it premieres on Stan on the 26th. And, um, you know, they've been fantastic getting behind this and it's everywhere, you know. Yeah bus stops, everything. I've never seen this kind of level of promotion for a film before, which is quite amazing, you know. No, mate. It's, I think it might have a little bit to do with Channel Nine, the old merchants of advertising, uh, taking Stan under their wing. So uh, I guess that Channel Nine knows a thing or two about promoting things. Mm, mm, uh, yeah. They do, yes. The, uh, now that they've got Fairfax out of the room, I think they've been able to turbocharge and streamline their operation when it comes to putting things on bus stops, buses, billboards. And- yeah. In the phone, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, mate, before we let you go, we need to ask about the nickname, the the King of Western Grit. Where yeah. did it come from? Who gave it to you? That was a Joel Edgerton thing. <laughs> he called me the King of Western Grit, and I can't even remember what it was. But it was it was it was after my tenth 
you know, roll with a mullet, I think, <laughs> and <laughs> it just stuck. And then all of a sudden there was this Facebook page that came up with basically people taking my mulleted scone and just putting on, on, on all these random movie posters. <laughs> but, yeah, that was uh, that was how it started, and it's still it's stuck to this day. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, King of Western Grit. And lastly, what are your predictions for the 2022 NRL season? Well, look, Adam Reynolds has gone up there, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. And uh, Kurt Capewell has gone up there. And, uh, look, I just want Broncos to make the top eight again yeah, because yeah. that you know it's it's heartbreaking to to have such a successful club mm. really floundering down yeah. there and have the have the talent behind them but just no one steering the ship. But yeah, uh, yeah look, you can't really go past you know Penrith at the moment mm. or the Storm. They're always there, aren't they? Yeah. Manly's yeah. always a dark horse. A couple know. of sleepers there. Yeah, a couple of sleepers there. With the Tigers will suck. Um, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. That's, the Warriors could sneak in. You, you know, can, you could bet on the Tigers sucking ass. That's one thing we can yeah, do. You, this. you can pretty much bet on that. Yeah, I mean, even the Bulldogs this this year yeah. look like they might have some players. You yeah. know, so. Who knows? Yeah, mate. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, I, I would say one thing to kind of uh, boost your morale is it looks like the Broncos are doing a much better job of signing players than the 2023 NRL Dolphins. They're, yeah. They're limping. <laughs> Bit of a slow rollout, isn't yeah. it? They're limping yeah, into a debut season. Cafusi, yeah, Cafusi, but they do have Wayne, though. Kind of nothing. <laughs> they do have Wayne. Yeah. They've got Wayne. Yeah. They signed another 30-something today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. we go. The median age of oh, the did they? F- yeah. front row is like 33. <laughs> 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 or like, oh, like Tony Butterfield or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fins up, oh, fins Kinesh- up. Kineski's putting the boots back on. Oh, no. <laughs> Sam Tagatizi, he's got, he's got a red clip. <laughs> I think that Hopper's only got two or three more years kind of left on his 10-year ban, so he'll be up there soon. Yeah, the well, future's bright for the Dolphins. <laughs> yeah, fins up, fins up for 2023. <laughs> Belcher, back get those boots back on, son. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Well, great to chat, guys. Thanks, mate. Thanks for joining us, and good luck with the rest of the junket. I'm sure they're going to be hounding you. It'll roll out here, and then it'll roll out elsewhere. It'll be in Iceland next week. Yeah, a couple months ahead. Roll out. Absolutely. But this will always be the most fun I ever had. So thanks. (laughs) Thanks, mate. (laughs) Thanks for joining. (laughs) Yeah, no worries. Bye. Yeah.